0: Welcome to Prestigious Minds, where we talk about innovators, entrepreneurs, and engineers and how they shaped our world that we live in today. I'm Jeremiah, joined here with my co-host Rob, and today we'll be talking about John D. Rockefeller. Before we dive into John D. Rockefeller, if you enjoy history and learning from the past, you can sign up for updates and news about Prestigious Minds on our website, and the link will be in the show notes below. So, without further ado, let's jump into
1: John D. Rockefeller. So, we're talking about John D. Rockefeller, right? Well, I don't really know a lot about John D. Rockefeller, but Mr. Jeremiah loves John D. Rockefeller. I just want to know, what's the fascination? I know he was into oil and steel and revolutionized a lot of those industries, but... Like, I have no idea where he came from, where he ended up, and I really don't know about what he did um, for a career before that. So, Jeremiah, if you'd like to fill us in a little bit, I would really like to know why well, you love John D. Rockefeller so much.
0: <laughs> okay, well, I'll answer your first question first. And the, the the question about, you know, why why Rockefeller? Like, why be interested in him? Why care about him? And I would say that there's parallel, parallels in history, right, to a lot of things. Like, and, and this isn't just like 50 years ago or 100 years ago. It's all throughout history. You see this is a time era. A leader did this. A businessman did this. And then you jump forward a few hundred years and the same thing occurs. So for me, you know, I'm kind of an entrepreneur myself. You know, I really like like learning things especially when it comes to like engineering type things and business and how how those things work together. Rockefeller was he wasn't the first business magnate of the day in the Gilded Age but he was the richest at some point, right? right. And he didn't just wake up and and was like I'm going to go be the richest man in the world. But he also didn't come from a prominent family. Came from a very uh I guess fractious childhood to a degree. Um, And to me, what I found fascinating about Rockefeller is like, I want to learn how did he come from such a modest background, you know, maybe even a broken house, and managed to learn what he needed to learn to do so well in business. Um, How was he able to build this old empire from the ground up, essentially? Especially like... In the time where oil was very hit or miss. Like this wasn't just it it wasn't the oil industry, obviously, that you see today. Where it's a standard business and you kind of have like the tricks of the trade. Like there were no tricks of the trade when it came to the oil business back then. Now, there were tricks to trade when it came to business. Now, that's what Rockefeller learned. And I wanna learn those from someone who was arguably the best to do it.
1: So A lot of what I hear about John D. Rockefeller is he was one of the biggest robber barons of his time. Um, He owned a lot of stuff. He compiled a lot of capital and really had a monopoly on industry. And some people would consider that, you know, you give more to the rich and you take from the poor. So did he actually acquire that capital in... Moral ways, or was he someone who just used the laws of the time to kind of give himself a a better opportunity than others? Okay, so
0: yes and no. Put this in perspective, especially if you think about how business is conducted today, there were definitely deals that even back in the 1870s, 1880s, were definitely considered shady, but they weren't against the law. And what I would like to point out, and I'm not necessarily, you know, picking sides, but typically, you know, you're going to look at someone who maybe monopolized an industry and be like, you know, how how dare he? And it's like, you know, I agree with that to some degree. But I think something that we have to realize is and this is a classic, you know, antidote to a lot of these arguments is if, if not Rockefeller, then it would have been someone else, right? Like right. like Rockefeller was just the one who saw the opportunity. He was able to see the big picture, see what was needed, needed to take over the industry, and he implemented the right tactics to do so. If Rockefeller hadn't noticed that at some point, if not him, it would have been someone else. Um, does that make it right? No, not necessarily. But did he really break the law? Eh, maybe later on, but in the beginning, um, one of the major factors, okay, probably the biggest factor in him developing a monopoly in oil was the railroad industry and controlling the railroad shipments. So, railroads were privatized back then. Now, they're privatized still today, but a little bit more loosely, um, but back then it was like, you know, if you're investing in a big railroad, you own the rights to that railroad, and you need to make money, you make money via shipping. And right. kerosene was a very big export in terms of well, local export, right.
1: Right. So what you're so what you're saying is like Rockefeller he he used some of the loose laws to his advantage. Now someone who doesn't know a lot about him would still consider well he probably didn't have very high morals, but uh what would what would if you could make a counterpoint to that, what do you think would be either in his his early life or maybe his later life that would lead you to believe that? Probably start with the early life like because I don't I don't know really anything about his history. So I would actually
0: say it's very opposite of him being like less moral like I would actually say that out of out of anyone of his era, he was probably the most moral person. And I would even say look up to him in most ways. Like, he, when he was a young kid, his dad pretty much more or less abandoned the family at some point to marry another woman and never divorced his mom. So he he was a bigamist. And his mother was a very devout Christian woman. And she imparted on Rockefeller that you should give... To those who are less fortunate than you so like he didn't grow up rich but he didn't grow up you know dirt poor didn't live in a shack he did have like his family did have a house and his dad was also a con man and whatnot so you know he would send money come back whenever he did and like give his mom money and they would pay off their debts and all that stuff and what Rockefeller learned I think from this was he learned a very strong sense of duty through his Christian upbringing and he maintained that Throughout the entirety of his life. And something that you can see is he didn't give once he was rich. He started giving from the moment he started working. So he got his first official job at 16 and he tithed his paycheck. I think it was, I think he started around like 5 or 6% and eventually much more than that later in life. So at what you can see is he always gave back. Um, whether to the church or to individuals or to other organizations, he always believed in a sense of giving back to those that had less, and I think that's an important like um, aspect that you really have to have to consider when you talk about Rockefeller, um, especially in later life, because his philanthropy was a major cornerstone, especially in medical and, and educational like research and implementation. But his philosophy from an early age that he learned, so he claimed to learn from a minister whenever he was in his early 20s, late teens, was earn, like, earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. And he lived by that principle. And that was first instilled by his mother, continued to be instilled by ministers um, as he went to church. And so his I would say his primary goal was like I'm going to earn as much as I can and give away as much as I can, but I want to be responsible with the money and so I don't want to just give it out willy nilly. So he was very
1: very particular about how he gave out his money. Right. So I guess going from his early childhood to maybe his philanthropy, but how do you how do you get there if you're if you're Rockefeller? Like what is your roadmap for that kind of success like from we got the early early childhood but like how do you develop that kind of work ethic because i know you just don't get instilled with work ethic you have to actually develop a work ethic you know can you run us through like how he he developed a um a sense of i guess morals through his um his own industry
0: Yeah, so Rockefeller got his first job September twenty sixth, eighteen fifty five. And I'm gonna give a disclaimer, I'm not gonna give specific dates for every little thing, but this particular one is a very important date and I would say more so for Rockefeller than it is for us today. And I point this out because that was the he got his first job as I stated, and he celebrated that day for the rest of his day or for the rest of his life. He called it job day. And he said, I don't know what would have happened had I not got that job. Now that job was a assistant bookkeeper at a small produce commission company, um, called Hewitt and Tuttle. And they were based in Cleveland, Ohio. That's where he lived at the time. And bookkeeping is pretty much the same today as it is back then. Back then it probably had a little bit more prominence in business, um, And he learned from this business expenses and how to coordinate business deals because he was also in control of managing the books. So he wouldn't necessarily always make or organize the purchases, but he did have to organize the shipments that came in. So like their their product that came in and the product that they sold and make sure the books were right. And he was very meticulous about this. He had an eye for numbers. He he could he 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 developed a skill where he was able to whittle things down all the way down to the scent. And if things were just even the most minute off, he would if he didn't know what it was, he would go find someone who did and start asking questions and he'd solve his problem. He was not a man of luxury, so he didn't spend a lot of money on luxury items. Like he didn't try to go buy a big fancy suit or you know a big fast horse, at least not. In his young days, he did splurge on horses later in life. That was one of his fancies. But for the most part, he was like, I'm going to take any revenue and reinvest it in the company. Very, you know, entrepreneur-esque, especially, you know, you hear about that today. And I wouldn't necessarily say that he developed a strong moral sense in business as much as he saw it as, "I'm if I'm going to do this, I'm going to be the best person to do it. Um... I believe that's kind of how he felt about things. And I don't think it was an all-cost necessary kind of endeavor. So he wasn't like, all means necessary, I'm going to do this. You know, like he didn't go to the extremes like some people did. But he wasn't um, He wasn't absent in those shady business deals later in life, if that makes sense. He would claim absence or claim ignorance about some situations that maybe he didn't lead, but he knew about them. But it wasn't necessarily legal. And I would say that if Rockefeller was to be the one person that had this kind of control over money, he he would probably be the best suited to distribute it as well. Because he did a fairly good job at that.
1: So, if he started out as a bookkeeper, and he was kind of a math nerd. like I would say you and me are both math nerds. How did he grow from a bookkeeper to the titan of oil industry. Like, how do you, how do you hard work alone? Doesn't just make that. And you said there's some business deals, but even then you had to put yourself in those early situations. So
0: yes, he, so he started out as a bookkeeper in Hewitt Tuttle, and throughout this, he also garnered a lot of um, connections in business in the area. And one of those connections was someone else who was, he worked for a different commission company. And so Rockefeller managing the books for his commission company decided that him and this uh, person called Maurice Clark would join together and create their own produce commission company. Ironically, around the time of the Civil War, And uh, it was a little bit before the Civil War, you know, 1860, 1861, so right around the same time the Civil War started, and... Not the Civil War alone, but kind of due to that and the explosion of population growth in industrial areas, like more urban areas like cities, the railroads expanded, and this caused a larger increase in commission deals. And basically what a commission company does is they're the middleman. They go and procure large bulk amount of product, and they sell to smaller distributors like stores or maybe like, like large-scale farmers or ranchers, stuff like that. So they were doing really well. The Civil War obviously demanded a lot of supplies. Now they didn't get a strict government contract, but they did secure contracts with other people who were supplying, maybe privateer type armies and stuff like that. Um, this helped Rockefeller and Maurice Clark actually, you know, grow the business a lot. They brought in a financier to help, you know, bolster the financial resources. And they kind of continued and continued and continued. And almost like we real quick to a slight side fact about Rockefeller is like many people who had any amount of money back then, um, he actually paid for a substitute in the Civil War. Now, I don't I don't remember if this was conscription or not, right? Um but I believe so he it would cost three hundred dollars, and you could have someone go in your place and this wasn't like a you pay the government three hundred dollars. it's literally like, hey, you go find someone who would who you know wants to go fight in the, the Civil War and you pay them three hundred dollars and later on, he even actually supported the union effort and paid for several soldiers' complete outfits, you know, not just pay for them to leave but pay for like their gun their their uh, supplies, their clothing, all that stuff. Um, and his reason that he gave for this was if I'm more valuable here in this business, helping supply the troops than I am being one of the troops. And, you know, I guess, you know, retroactively, you know, looking back, that could be true. I want to take a short break to ask that if you are enjoying the show, Please go leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you stream and let us know what you like most about the show. Also, don't forget, you can also follow us on Twitter at pod We'll be posting content related to our subject here and other historical facts and topics that you can also discuss over on Twitter. Now, let's get back into it. So, going back to the produce company, he ended up meeting this uh, chemist named Sam Andrews who had a process of refining crude oil to produce um, high-quality kerosene. Sam Andrews came to Maurice Clark because that's who he knew at the time. He was an Englishman. And Maurice Clark was like, ah, I'm not really interested in that. It's too risky for me. Sam Andrews brought it to Rockefeller, and Rockefeller was like, you know, this sounds like a pretty good endeavor. And so... He decided to say give the green light, Sam Andrews, to join a partnership and start an oil refinery in Cleveland, Ohio, with Maurice Clark. So this is kind of like a separate entity with
1: the Produce Commission Company. So you're saying he went from like getting this opportunity to start a, um, a commission company in an in industry he was already in to finding someone that could refine. Crude oil into something usable. So he was pretty much one of the first people to start, like, in, like, in the oil industry. Like, as far as refining it into kerosene. Yeah. Okay. So, it seems like Rockefeller had a lot of opportunities that were really beneficial to him. Especially during the Civil War. Uh, I get that he was more useful um, outside of the front lines and providing troops and the Union Army with capital, but um, well, it was actually supplies, not necessarily money, because you have to
0: think right. Rockefeller wasn't super financially wealthy. Now, maybe for back then he was considered upper middle class, but he wasn't. He wasn't the elite, rich person that he ended up being later in
1: life. Right. Not many people could afford $300 to have someone substitute themselves in a uh, uh, conscription army. But I guess if you could, I would too.
0: Well, I mean, famous people that you might have heard of, you know, um, Grover Cleveland, um, Theodore Roosevelt, um, these people also paid $300 to have someone go fight for them as well. So, it
1: wasn't very uncommon then for people that could. Wow. Okay. Well, I didn't know that.
0: Yeah. Um, So, it wasn't uncommon for people who had any amount of money to do so. I mean, if you... I don't want to dive off too far into that, but if you think about the Civil War, I mean, terrible, you know, horrific war, and uh, the casualty rate was pretty high, so are if you were on the front lines you may not have made it out right um but rockefeller got his opportunity in the oil refining industry started in 1860 and throughout the years they grew and perfected their product and they focused on giving a superior product and eventually rockefeller hatched a plan for him and sam andrews to go out on his own and squeeze maurice clark out and the reason why this was was kind of twofold one was Maurice Clark was a little bit too reserved for Rockefeller. Now, Rockefeller wasn't a massive risk taker. He was very strong in calculated risk taking. when um, he saw Maurice Clark as too timid. And the other thing was his younger brother, Frank, um, wanted to join the army and asked Rockefeller for money. And he said, no. And then Maurice Clark gave him the money. And then Rockefeller got injured, wounded twice in two different battles in the, in the, in the civil war fighting for the union, almost died. And some suspect that Rockefeller kind of, you know, never really forgave Maurice Clark for allowing that to happen. But nonetheless, Maurice Clark eventually got phased out in a conversation with him. And at this point, Clark's brothers were also part of the organization. And he... Proposed an idea of mat, you know, like fast expansion in the refining business, which obviously the Clark brothers were not about. They were like, "That's too risky," and then they threatened to, you know, "Well, we're going to dissolve the firm." And so Rockefeller was like, "Called him on it," and he's like, "Okay, name your price." And they like uh, they named a price, and you know, they they kind of you know he basically what Rockefeller is he cl- he called their bluff, and they were kind of joking, but. You know he got everyone in there so it was like Sam Andrews, Maurice Clark, Rockefeller and all of them that they would state that they were okay with dissolving the partnership, which is I think was a law back then and he had that written down like in written record. And then the next morning, the uh, Cleveland uh, I don't know what the name of the uh, it's like the Cleveland Herald or Cleveland Insider's like a it was a magazine or newspaper back then on the front page it basically printed, Clark, Andrews, and Rockefeller dissolve into Andrews and Rockefeller and uh, Oral Refining Company or whatever. Um, don't quote me on that. A little loose on the history there, but, you know, for, you get the idea. And so, the partnership was dissolved. And now you have Andrews and Rockefeller in the late 1860s, early yeah, like 1868, 1867, they're now on their own oil refining industry. And so if I, well, let me take a few steps back. Before they actually own the oil refining business, what happened was the entirety of the partnership had to go for auction. And so basically what you end up having was Andrews and Rockefeller kind of had a I mean, I guess a secret deal behind the back they would still be partners. The Clark brothers would you know leave the partnership, but they would bid on who owned the business. And eventually, what happened was Rockefeller was able to own the business and it cost him seventy two thousand dollars back then and his half ownership in the commission business. So he paid seventy two thousand dollars to the Clark brothers for his half. For their half in the oil business. And they got to keep the commission business. Okay. So now you're sitting here with Sam Andrews and John Rockefeller. Owning 100% of their refining business. And this is in the like 1868. 1867 era. And they grow and they grow and they grow. And eventually they bring on a person called Henry Flagler. Which was a prominent uh, business figure throughout the history of Standard Oil. And they grew the business until um, 1870, where they ditched the old name. And they, well, they didn't incorporate back then, because that wasn't a thing. But they basically started a corporation called Standard Oil Company.
1: So, <clears throat> to wrap up the first part of this, um, we've gone through Rockefeller's early life. How he developed himself into a businessman his various business ventures and his risky involvement in trading standard oil for his or his commission business for standard oil i think one takeaway we have from what we've discussed so far would be rockefeller may not be the villain that some people you know Think of him uh think of him as today, but he sounded like he was a man that had a lot of opportunities and he took the risk to pursue them. For you to give up a successful commission business that you know is gonna make money for something that might make a lot of money, that's a risky endeavor. It's, today today it's a risky endeavor. Back then it was even more so.
0: Especially concerning that the oil industry was not regulated or standardized. So, it was a very, like, uh, accelerated business where, you know, one minute you're rich, next minute you're broke. Very much like
1: gold mining. So, refining crude oil back then was not... I mean, you were not refining crude oil like you are today for transportation costs. It was mostly for heating and light. And lighting, right? I would say primarily lighting sources with kerosene. So you didn't even have the infrastructure for transportation with, uh, or using crude oil for transportation. So that is, that is a risky, risky endeavor. I mean, no one, no one thinks about how oil was used before the gasoline and diesel powered cars. But I would say that's a pretty significant risk.
0: Yeah. I mean, most definitely, especially, especially considering when you think about how, oil prices were. Now, I don't want to dive into the science of oil prices back then, but to give you an idea of that is the fact that when a new well was struck, oil prices would plummet. Like, kerosene oil prices would just plummet because now they would flood the market with oil. Now, this kind of makes sense, you know, supply and demand, but... You the biggest question to yourself is like, oh well, if they're flooding the market, why would they do that? Well, back then they didn't know how finite oil was. They thought that when they struck a little pocket of oil, they didn't know if that was gonna be the last pocket they ever struck. Right. So they would try to pump as much out as fast out as they could, make it all the money as they could, which <laughs> basically kind of ruined a lot of people because now you plummeted their their production, co- like their production profit, because you flooded the market with oil. Um, but this was also before you regulated it and people knew that oil was way
1: more plentiful than it actually was. Right. So I think for part one, this is a good place to end.
0: I agree. Okay. Yeah.
1: So, um, um, on the next episode, we'll
0: dive more into, um, the history of standard oil and Rockefeller and how he began to build the global oil monopoly that he ended up with by the late 1800s until next time this has been jeremiah and rob and we'll see you on the next one of prestigious minds if you enjoy this episode don't forget to uh, like and subscribe share on any streaming platform that you may stream on and give us a five-star review on spotify and itunes we very much appreciate it and, uh, if you enjoy this content, don't forget that you can go to our website, sign up for news and updates, as well as go to our Twitter and follow us there and interact and we'll try to, um, what we plan on doing is implementing a trivia question at least for once a week. And if you give the if you're the first person to give the right episode, uh, the right answer, not the right episode, then we will present you with the, with the person with the winning answer on, the, the end of the episode on here on Prestige minds.
1: And we may have a discussion about the topic as well.
0: Yeah. And don't forget about any bonus episodes that may be coming, so watch out for those too. Anyway, nice to see you, and we'll see you on the next one
1: of... Prestigious Minds.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Prestigious Minds. Don't forget you can follow us on Twitter at pmindspod and we'll be posting fascinating facts related to our topics talked about here today and in the future. Also, if you enjoy this episode, it would be very much appreciated if you go leave a five-star review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere you enjoy listening. In the next episode... We'll be diving more into Rockefeller and Standard Oil and what he did to grow Standard Oil into the massive monopoly they ended up becoming. Until next time, go make history with your newfound wisdom.